I V M. Hello and welcome to another episode of Triangle of Fans. I was gathering my notes earlier today and I was super pumped. The Utah Jazz and Denver Nuggets put up yet another spectacular show, going shot after shot, shot after shot, and keeping the scoreline super close until the end. And then I was excited because it was going to be followed by the Mavs versus the Clippers. That happened to be an absolute dampener. The Clippers running away with it, putting out a 40-point victory, 40-plus point victory. And that is what we're going to talk about in today's episode of Triangle of Friends. I'm Monish. I'm, as usual, joined here by Nishant as we review Game 5 from the first round of the playoffs. On today's episode, we'll be talking about Denver and the Jazz. Like I said, these teams are inseparable. They were fourth and fifth, third and fourth throughout the throughout the regular season and then one fell to the six so that they could play each other in the playoff and we'll be talking about the Mavs and the Clippers pandemic is listening to our podcast I suppose he had a point to prove yesterday Hey Nishant, what's up? Hey Manish, we're kind of short on match content to discuss today with just two matches thanks to the East just being sweep after sweep. I'm excited to talk about a couple of other topics that we have lined up along with the matches today. Yeah, we should. We should talk about the other matches. But let's review, let's review the matches first. The Jazz and the Nuggets, that is a playoff for the ages, right? Every match going down to probably the last few positions. Jamal Murray, what a superstar he's turning out to be. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, what what astounds me in this series is not just the emergence of uh, Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell. We, we've known they were good players, but Donovan Mitchell is at least a lot more consistent than Murray is. Neither of them have played at this level for this long. But Mitchell at least has shown us some flashes of brilliance. With, with Jamal Murray, it's always unpredictable. It's always on and off. But even when he's been on, it's never been this on. This level of performance, it's unprecedented. And it's exciting to see because they're both young talents. Jamal Murray is in year four. Donovan Mitchell just finished his sophomore year last year. It's year three now. So it's, it's super exciting. What astounds me in this series in particular is we're now what? Five games in, Utah leads 3-2. We've had five games of both teams absolutely shooting lights out. I've never seen a contest like this. Both teams shoot 50% plus from the field for the entirety of the game. Uh, both shoot 40-45% plus from three. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I've never seen a contest quite like this. It's a straight shootout. Every game is a is a shootout. Um, I'd like to see Jokic assert a bit more influence right now because it's just, it's guard versus guard right now. Um, just to, if Denver have to win this, I think Jokic has to come in a little more. But I wouldn't be complaining too much because this is exactly what I asked for when the playoffs were about to start. I said, just give me good old isolation basketball, man on man, guard against guard, and I'm good. And that's exactly what this series has given me. So I'm not complaining too much. It's a, I, I really don't know how to put, so I was struggling because we watched the match and for the longest time, it was, clo- it was a close game until it wasn't and, and Denver pulled away towards the end. I was trying to break it down statistically because we saw what we saw on court. But where was this match lost? Because ultimately it ended up with a Denver Nugget 10-point win for the Nugget. Where did that deficit come from? Because th- that score kind of betrays what actually happened. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't that much of a margin. This should have been a one-point game or a last shot decider. So I was breaking down the stats. I was trying to put together, piece together, maybe quarter by quarter. Where does it make sense? And ultimately, this is where those 10 points come down. Uh, This is what those 10 points come down to. The Denver Nuggets hit four field goals more 
two point shots, four field goals more, and they hit two free throws more. That's it. They attempted the same number of th- uh, free throws. Denver Nuggets just converted two more. They attempted more or less the same number of three pointers and hit the same number of three pointers. Mm-hmm. No difference there. And then four field goals more for Denver. Now, so four field goals made and two free throws converted in addition to what the Utah Jazz were able to achieve. How were they able to put up and convert those four shots? The Jazz had six turnovers more. Denver had one offensive rebound more. Those seven possessions led to seven more shots for Denver. And they converted four of those. And that's it. That's literally the whole ball game. That's how tight it was. Every other metric, their match. One for one, the exact same thing. It's an amazing series. I'm having the time of my life following these guys. I hope this continues. I really want a game seven here. Um, I, they're in with a shot. Hey, if, if Denver can replicate this performance, they're in with a shot. We have a tight series and we go to game seven. Absolutely. That's a nice breakdown of the... That's, that's a nice breakdown of the scoring metric that you did. And I think that's pretty much where the game was won. Denver has never come back from a 3-1 deficit down. They've been down 3-1 13 times in the playoffs so far. They never come back from a 3-1 deficit. In with a chance this time, I wouldn't write them off. They've been playing amazing basketball. They were down by 15 yesterday at one point in time. Uh, it was the tail of the first quarter and the fourth, fourth quarter for the Denver. They were they were up. Uh, Nikola Jokic put up 21 points in quarter one. He looked like he was going to go on, on an 80-point game or something. Then he slowed down a bit and then... Utah took the momentum away. They got a 15-point lead at one point in time. And then Jamal Murray just decided to take it up. Uh, he scored 32 points in the second half of the game. Kept converting shot after shot after shot. And it, it shows 65% shooting for him alone. What an incredible star he's turning out to be. Yeah, and it's not like Jokic. So Jokic played well, don't get me wrong. It's just I see a lot more of crunch time offense now flowing through Jamal Murray. I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. on any night when he has more short attempts or has a higher usage rate than Jokic. What's surprising to me is a lot more players are going through Jamal Murray right now than through Jokic. It'd be interesting to see if uh, this is just recency bias or if they've really shifted their entire system to, to now play through Jamal Murray. That's a big gamble. As as lights out as he's been playing, that's a gamble. And and it's also underutilization of a generational talent in, in Nikola Jokic. So it's curious what's happening with their team, but right now it's working and they're winning. So... Can't really complain. The second game today, though, the Mavs was the Clippers. That turned out to be a total dud. Not taking anything away from the Clippers, Doncic didn't look 100% fit. Porzingis was out, so Clippers clearly went in with an advantage. But this was an absolute demolition job. Winning by 40 plus points, 154 points in a playoff game. Third highest ever in a playoff game, that is. And what's more incredible is 63% shooting, 62% from beyond the arc. A plus-minus. We joked about the plus-minus the other day with Brooklyn Nets. Clippers had a plus-minus of 215 yesterday. This is this is not even a game. Yeah, first, first, straight off the top. Everyone who's, I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of sports shows around the world and they're all going to go overboard with this performance. First of all, it's one game. Relax. Secondly, secondly, if you, if you look at the numbers, this is not going to be scalable. I would fully expect LA Clippers to play well. I'd fully expect... Uh, them to show up and it's quite possible that they'll win the series but this margin it's not going to be this tight Dallas weren't tested here it was a blowout just like the Lakers with Portland the other day they weren't really tested it was a blowout because um, you know they started with a huge first quarter lead and that was that game over and it's a statement win for the Clippers don't get me wrong but I wouldn't go overboard with this I wouldn't I would not concede and say hey playoff P is back one game you suck the entirety of the bubble. You turn up for one game. You're not a politician. This doesn't work for you. <laughs> this act of of lowering expectations to to rock bottom 
and then playing one good game uh, and then saying playoff p is back say that at least when you won the series much respect to paul george he played like paul george right so it's it's not like it's not like paul george suddenly played like michael jordan or kobe out there he played the game that we expect him to play at a higher efficiency than normal great showing but let's also not overlook the fact that it took the entire team as you pointed out and kawhi leonard consciously feeding paul george from play number 1 every single play until he got some momentum going until he got some great looks created by the team if that's sustainable if it if that can deliver these kind of results why not but it took a lot to get paul george going what i am happy to see is doc rivers is a genius I think kawhi is a great leader they made a conscious effort to bring their second superstar into the game get him going build his confidence and that's great to see that's what every uh, championship aspirant franchise does is they make sure all of their elements are working especially the big ones if they're misfiring mm-hmm. it's also what lebron james has made a career out of right he spends the entire regular season 82 games just bringing everyone else up to speed and then he goes off in the playoffs and you think it's playoff bron and this and that it is playoff bron but he could have easily done that in the regular season also the reason why he doesn't is cuz he's making sure everyone else is at a at a certain level before he starts taking off yeah we don't even talk about kawhi leonard anymore he had yet another efficient game he scored 32 points 7 rebounds and was uh, running the show there like you said feeding paul george getting him back into shape that's exactly what a leader does and just because he doesn't really have any glamorous shots or doesn't take any risky shots you could say we don't talk much about him but he is the most efficient player out there easily and he comes into the same bracket as lebron james in this sense there are two these are two players who with whom the expectations are so high that unless they blow your mind with like a 45 point triple double uh, game winning shot one poster dunk it's expected 30 minutes 32 points 7 rebounds 4 assists it's expected he yeah. defends their best player is expected steals blocks plus minus uh, it's kawhi leonard and the point you made about he doesn't take these glamorous shots i think that's very true um, it's also what affected lebron james for the vast majority of his career these two guys they have a shooting technique that's not exactly all world graceful they don't their shots don't look quite as pretty as as a kobe bryant or michael jordan jump shot it's not the same kind of fade away even that they're just too big um to have that level of leap agility but it's effective so i think that kind of takes away sometimes from from how they're adored and and seen as not just master class players but artists on the field but they are uh, this is i mean honestly this is nothing that i would not expect from kawhi leonard i really think he's one of the best two maybe three players in the mm-hmm. world and he played like it what i would give him more credit for is actually the way he was able to bring paul george into the game and and make sure that his his number 2 his sidekick got going today that i think as the playoffs move on is going to be a lot more crucial um, than his performance and his efficiency because that's going to carry all the way through absolutely now doncic is looking very wobbly posingas will be probably returning from injury in game 6 you think it's game over for the mavs they have stretched out the clippers as much as they can or do you see one final push take it to game 7 and let's see what happened there i'm concerned um and and this is it's unfortunate i don't want this series to end like this the clippers win fair and square that's that's fine if the mavericks put up a fight and they win or lose whatever we'll take that result but but what sucks in basketball is what we've already seen in game 1 which mm-hmm. is outside influences externalities impacting the flow of a series it happens that's life it, it happens all the time but it's not what you'd want to see as a fan game 1 that if is going to remain forever if posingus wasn't ejected 
would the game have resulted in a loss for the Mavericks? Mm-hmm. And if that was a win, how would the series have played out after that? That's an if that unfortunately we can't roll back. And I have similar concerns now for the series going forward. Luka Doncic did not look fit. It wasn't just that he was outplayed yesterday. He did not look fit. He didn't. He looked. He looked clumsy enough even in the previous game where he put on a masterclass. But he didn't look fit yesterday. Posing is is going to come back from an injury. We are not even sure if he is going to come back. If it does again, that's that's a fitness concern. So you have the best two players on the Mavs with with injury concerns. It it would suck for that to have an impact on the outcome of the series. What I really want to see is the Mavericks playing full strength, and then let's see where this goes. You'd still have to give the Clippers the edge. Like I said in the previous episode, this isn't a case of Mavericks being so good that the Clippers can't handle it. I really think this is a case of the Clippers getting complacent, getting high on their own supply. Because if they play at a full potential, there's there's probably no team in in the league that can that can really take them on. They're just built to demolish in playoffs, both ends of the court. Um, I, my only ask, my only hope is fitness isn't going to be a decider. We, I want two teams fully fit to battle it out, and then whoever wins wins. And I'd still give Clippers the edge there. In other news, Giannis was voted as the defensive player of the year, and he won by an overwhelming margin. Uh, he was the favorite. We had predicted this a few episodes back. Uh, but do you think should it should have been a closer race? AD was like some people would say AD was leading the league in steals plus blocks, but Giannis had better rebound numbers, better defensive uh, win shares. Do you think there should even be a contest? Yeah, I think it's one of those. Uh, it's one of those years where it could have gone to either guy, and you can't really say the other guy got robbed. This was a very very close call. There's going to be predictably a lot of outrage on the internet. Mostly from Lakers fans getting triggered. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of them. I really think Giannis deserves it, and that was my call. But you'll you'll find a lot of Lakers fans getting triggered. Giannis, I would say he thoroughly deserved it. Forget the eye test, because even even eye test wise, Giannis has a slight edge on 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 Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. Just because of how just because of the level of aggression with which he plays, Anthony Davis is not at 100% all the time. He turns it on in big matches, but Giannis plays like that all the time, both ends of the court. Uh, with a sense of urgency, which allows him to to do everything he wants to in 30 minutes in most games. That's yeah. why his efficiency is it literally is all time high. True. Get this, Giannis led the league in defensive rating. That's kind of like defensive PER. Mm-hmm. He led the league in defensive win shares, so nobody contributed more on defense than him to, mm-hmm. to each victory that they had. He led the league in defensive plus minus and in rebounding. defensive rebounding at least there's there's really no argument there and he did all this in a team that went on to have the best defensive rating in the league the most defensive rebounds in the league the highest rebound percentage in the league defense wise and the fewest points allowed in the paint per game there's no argument here and if if the if the argument is that anthony davis has more steals and blocks per game so does robert covington you're telling me he's a better defender than than yanis his steals and blocks everything <laughs> it's an That's a trailing metric. That's not really a leading metric of anything. Yeah. Defensive rating is predictable. That tells me how he's going to do next game. Blocks and steals tell me what he has already done. It's not going to help me much going forward. So I don't think steals and blocks alone should decide defensive player of the year. That alone doesn't count for anything. Uh, because if that's if that's going to be the only metric that matters, Dennis Rodman has a career average of less than one steal per game, one block per game. He's yeah. considered one of the greatest defenders, not just rebounders, one of the greatest defenders of all time. Mm-hmm. Played on both the championship winning Bulls team and the champion Bad Boy Pistons team before that. Is he not worth it? I'm sure I can find a bunch of scrubs that have more steals per game and blocks per game than Dennis Rodman. Are they better defenders than Dennis Rodman? That alone proves nothing. That stat. 
So I think Yanis deserved it. What a wouldn't it be a great way to celebrate to just close out this damn series? I don't even know why there's a game five. <laughs> let's just close it out. Put the put the magic out of their misery and let's move on. I was gonna say let's send the magic home, but then I realized they're already home in Orlando. <laughs> so the other game, uh, two other big games today, and the first one I want to talk about the Lakers and Port- Lakers and Portland. I don't think we have much to talk about there. Damian Lillard is probably out of the game. The Trailblazers have come out and said he's not fit for game five. Any chances for the Blazers to just just drag it through to another game? No, I don't think so. Even with Lillard fit, I think this series is over. It just showed in the previous game. Portland looked gassed out, dejected. They've given up mentally. It's done. So even with Lillard, I don't see Portland winning another game. I think the series is over. Without Lillard, it's just no chance. Let's let's end this. This is done. Now, great showing for Portland, but this is done. Okay, let's end that. But the other big game, uh, which is well balanced, is the OKC versus Rockets. OKC came back from 2-0 down to level up the series. And Rockets, you could say, are a little bit down on momentum. Uh, Westbrook is not yet fit. Chris Paul upping his game when it matters the most. You think Rockets go into this game as slight favourites? The Rockets are definitely favourites in terms of how they've elevated their game. Do the OKC have a shot? They do, not because of how they play, but because of how the Rockets play. We've said this before. The Rockets, their strategy is comically poker table-ish. Put up as many three attempts as possible. And on nights where you convert at even a roughly high level, they're never going to be a 45% team. If they are, God bless you, that's a 200-point game. But... Anything above 35% conversion, just the sheer volume of threes they shoot gives them the win. When they don't, and they're not really giving themselves a chance on rebounding or anything else because of small ball, and then they look pretty bad. And that's literally it. They're still a very gritty defensive team. That's the only thing that even keeps it close. Because otherwise, any night where the Rockets don't shoot the three well, they're done. They're done. There's no other, there's no plan B. Their plan B currently isn't fit. The guy, the one guy that can consistently drive to the paint. He's not fit. Harden can do that too, but so far we've not really seen that side of him. He's not going to the free throw line as much as he does. Yeah. Not even close. And he also seems to be shooting threes. If they have to tweak one thing, if D'Antoni has to change one thing, I, I would I would expect that they change this strategy of everyone shooting threes. I think wherever there's an opportunity to create a play or an isolation scenario for James Harden to drive in, they should. Because he's as good as anyone at finishing at the paint. True. And he's better than literally anyone else in the world at drawing a foul. Sinks it at a, at a near 90% conversion rate in, in any situation. I feel like that's one angle that they're missing out on leveraging. And, and as a result of that, it's a gamble every time around. That's the one thing I would change. Rockets are still overwhelming favorites here. OKC might make a game of it, but I'd expect the Rockets to pull through. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a prediction I've got logged in here. Uh... What is rumor about Greg Popovich and the Philadelphia 76ers? What's happening there? It's actually two rumors and, and both just as intriguing. On one hand, there are reports that say the Elton brand and the 76ers want Greg Popovich. There's another rumor, and this is probably a lot more credible at this stage, that the Brooklyn Nets want Greg Popovich. And I'm sure San Antonio want Greg Popovich anyway. This is now a, a really intriguing toss-up and what coach wouldn't want to have these three options right now? San Antonio, not a great prospect right now, but it's where he's been for, for a quarter of a century. Yep. So there's that. There's the mouth-watering prospect of going to Brooklyn and coaching Durant, Kyrie Irving, Dinwiddie and the whole, whole lot of them. Or the process. Can you be the one guy that can make sense of the process and get them to do anything? Honestly, just get them to the finals. That'd be great. I, I was thinking about this and there's no real clear answer unless you know what, 
what's on his mind because he's been in San Antonio since forever. He was their GM actually before he was mm-hmm. their coach. Yep. He needed to find a new coach. He put himself in that job and he never left after that. And and of course his his record speaks for itself. Five-time champion, developed a lot of young talent, picked out some gems in the draft, made them into world-class talents. So he can do that whole development thing. But and and if that's the angle you want to take, Philadelphia has a dream job. Mm-hmm. Young superstar talent, potential to find more in the draft or or trade for some. And and build really a team by mentoring them and making them better players. This guy is tailor made for that job. But it is a dysfunctional franchise. There's no real clarity in leadership from the GM or the owner. They keep flip flopping on most of their decisions, and they've made some historically bad decisions, like Tobias Harris and Al Horford's contract. Now, at the age of 71, does Greg Popovich really want to get into this? Yeah. Is this something that he that he wants to do? Because does he have the time to build? Um. Uh, a whole franchise from scratch mm-hmm. and this is the process this isn't just any rebuild where you go in and you trade people in and out and you are ready within a season god knows what the team wants to do here how they want to handle their contracts do they want to tank again is that how they want to build because that's how they built it so far if they're going to do that they, i really don't see why greg popovich would want to waste four or five years uh, four or five years that i don't know if he has and if he's willing to stay in in the game for that long so from that perspective it doesn't really make too much of a sense uh, sense to me unless the the strategy is clear from the ownership which would be a first for philadelphia mm-hmm. and they tell him this is what we're thinking this is who we keep this is who we trade what do you think and we'll get this done we want to go for the chip next year mm-hmm. and that's why we want to then maybe maybe outside shot but otherwise i'd say brooklyn is the job to go for i know he's been in san antonio since forever and he's never not made the playoffs except for this season and i think I think season one. These were the only two times that he missed, and in between was that whole streak. Right. He can get it done, no doubt. Um, in in Brooklyn, he has more of a ready-made shot because that's mm-hmm. a loaded squad. The only kind of the the two ifs there are one Kyrie and his whole team chemistry, and mm-hmm. you know he always makes teams worse and the locker rooms worse where he goes. That I'm not too worried. Somebody like a Greg Popovich, he can handle that. The only other if would be is Kevin Durant the same player. Right. because the injury injury that he's had we've had players come back sooner than Kevin Durant has we've had players that have taken longer mm-hmm. but it always almost always takes away some part of the game right kevin durant luckily isn't heavily dependent on his paint game or his low post game it's not mm-hmm. as physical as you would expect a 7 footer's game to be if he was yanis that's a problem yeah but he's not he he shoots like he's steph curry sometimes <laughs> somewhere between steph and clay and from literally anywhere he can dribble with the best of them So he's got really a guard's game in a seven-foot man's body. That's what makes him the most freakishly incredible scoring machine of all time. As long as he can come back more or less fit, where he's able to maintain the same level of offensive efficiency, that's a mouth-watering prospect for Greg Popovich to go to. Because the same problem that Philadelphia has, because of other reasons, he's going to have at San Antonio. The rebuild is going to take time. It's not going to be overnight. So if he's thinking these are my last couple of years, I need a chip. Brooklyn's the way to go, but but it's an interesting uh, piece that's developing. That's an interesting piece and a rumor that we'll be keeping close eyes on. Before we wrap up today's episode, who was your player of the day? Couple of options for you: Jamal Murray or Paul George. Paul George, just for the impact that I think it's going to have on this team. The Clippers are a favorites to win the title, or right up there, if not absolute favorites. And they need everyone to be firing. Pat Bev's not fit right now. He's going to be back. They need Paul George to be Paul George because otherwise this team's not what it was touted to be. So just in terms of sheer impact going forward, 
even if Denver wins the series, I don't expect them to go to the finals. Certainly, I mean, conference finals, certainly not the NBA finals. So just in terms of the sheer impact that this could potentially have, Paul George's performance was a lot more critical for the entire league and of course for his team. So player of the day by far. All right, that's quite a promotion for him. Uh, flop of the day, if any. And I, this one I found very difficult to pinpoint any one flop of the day given that there were only two games. But I think uh, in the end, I I pinned it down to the Mavericks defense as a whole. You can't let 154 points despite your two best players not being out there. Or one being there but half fit and one not being there. Yeah, I can't disagree there. Um, you, you can't, you can't, let's start with you can't concede 154 points regardless. <laughs> 154 points, that's too much. They're not playing a high school team. Also, here's the stat that just blows my mind and the difference in efficiency because that's what did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dallas and Clippers took the same number of shots. Dallas, in fact, took one shot more in the entire game. Right. It's just Clippers, are you telling me your defense is so bad that having the same shot attempts or actually more than the other guys, you still ended up 43 points behind them? <laughs> That, that's just an all-time great defensive failure. It's just, it's just a terrible performance. And it was not great contests. A lot of open shots. There just wasn't that level of defensive intensity. This is bad for the all-star game, this defense. So, of course, it's horrible <laughs> for the playoffs. Easily. No argument there. Okay. Uh, any plays of the day that stood out for you? Uh, there was one. Uh, there were two, actually, that I, I had pinned down. One was a Donovan Mitchell monster dunk in, way late in the fourth quarter. The point, the I think a few points after that, Jamal Murray with a huge three-pointer. It bounced off the rim a few times. It was very Kawhi Leonard-esque, if I can call it that. And that kind of pulled it away at, I think the score was 101-103 and then gave the Nuggets a five-point gap over there and then this just pulled away from there. So for that reason alone, I think I would have to go with the Jamal Murray point. Yeah, again, I agree. Uh, nothing new from Donovan Mitchell. We know he's a great, great in-game dunker. Uh, Jamal Murray, first of all, him playing at this level is new. At this level. He's, he's had good games, but he's not been this good ever. I just feel like in the last one year, it's just been a year of lucky bounces. And players who get lucky bounces kind of being treated like they merited that luck. Like it's somehow their achievement that they merited that luck. It started with Kawhi Leonard hitting the flukiest shot of all time. Mm-hmm. And that's somehow making him more clutch than anyone else who ever lived in, in, in a lot of people's minds. Then we had Damon Lillard, that bomb that he launched on Brooklyn, yep. that, that bounced up and sky high or whatever. <laughs> he had a great game, don't get me wrong, I'm only jesting you. But it feels like it's just been a calendar year of, of lucky shots in key moments, um, making players shine. So just in that theme, I think Jamal Murray's play would, <laughs> would stand out. When they say you make your own luck. And with that, it was always nice talking to you. We'll catch up tomorrow after the Lakers game. Hopefully, they are in round two of the playoffs and they have... Uh, the Houston Rockets or the OKC one step closer to facing them. Yep, we're going to see a lot of series concluding now soon enough. Uh, but let's, let's just hope OKC and and uh, Rockets and also the Clippers and Mavs go to Game 7. Let's also hope Utah goes to Game 7 yeah. and we get to see a whole bunch more of playoff action. Alright then, see you. See you.